0: Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians 11. and And each of you, we love you and are glad that you're here this evening. First Corinthians chapter 11. Usually, in our church, we preach through entire books of the Bible. If you'll look on the website, you'll see that we preach through 1 John, 2 Peter, um, sections of Matthew. We're now doing the last five chapters of the book of John. And this, morning, this evening, we are beginning a short series on the family. And if I could just speak to your heart before we begin the message and say... I want to encourage you to think about the value of your family. I'm so glad to see dads here. God has put the responsibility on us. He made three institutions. The family, the government, and the church. And the family lies primarily with the dads to lead And I I want to strongly encourage you to lead your family to Christ. Bring them to Jesus. Make sure none of your children are lost. And whatever praying or sacrificing, it needs to be certain that your little ones know the Lord. Make that your highest priority. And if you're a mom here tonight and your husband is, is gone or passed away or just doesn't care about the gospel then you stand up and pray that God would help you to do what your husband really should be doing. So tonight we're going to start, we'll deal with man, men tonight. Lord willing, next week we'll deal with ladies. I'm sorry, next week Lloyd is preaching for us. Then the next week, Lord willing, we'll do ladies. The next week we're doing children. Men, women, children. We'd love for you to join us for those. Or if you can't be here, let me know and I'll send you the link so you can listen to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3 is the text for the evening. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Our world does not like that verse. Because that verse tells us that Jesus Christ is the head of every man. That's the first reason our world does not like that verse. The second reason our world hates that verse is because the father and the son are pictured in a Christian home. Where the husband is the head of the wife. Our world hates that. Have you heard this phrase? Toxic masculinity. Put your hand up if you've ever heard the phrase. Toxic masculinity. I'm so glad that only a few people have heard that. It is a lie of the world. That manhood or manliness. Is poisonous. Have you heard of transgender people. Who's heard of transgender people? Hands up. Transgender ideology is an attack on masculinity. Homosexuality is an attack on masculinity. But as you listen, many of you are Africans who say That's not part of my culture. That's from the Wild West. Transgenderism, that's from Europe. That's from America. We don't do that where I come from in Ingerere. We don't do that in Malumulele. Fair enough. Tonight I would like to discuss a Christian man from birth to death. And I'm going to do so with the help of this book. Written two years before the Tsonga language had a Bible. The Batsonga people got their Bible in its form that it is today in 1929. Chivenda was 1936. This book was written by one of the men who helped work on the Tsonga Bible translation. He published it in 1927. It's almost 100 years old. If you read books on a Kindle or on your phone, you can buy this book for a US dollar, 15 Rand. This is only one of the volumes. There's a second one. And this book explains Tsonga culture. We have a few Tsongas here. The Yalungas are not able to be here this evening or else they also would be but Tsonga. But I hope that himina, nimut mina. This book explains Tsonga culture from a man who lived for 30 years among the Batsonga, just about an hour to the east of us. And he has a chapter of 100 pages long called A Man from Birth to Death. And I've I've marked it here and I'm going to read these to you just now. And what he does in this chapter is explain what happens to a Tsonga boy when he's born. When he grows up, when he be, wants to pay Lobola, when he wants to be a man, when he gets ready to die. And then from that, I'm going to read what happened here in this province 100 years ago. Probably, Bavenda, you can say, ah, j'afana. maybe Azephani but j'afana, j'afana, jafana 80%. Maybe Mashona Badori Zinofanana 70%. And then with the Lord helping us, I'd like to turn back to the text and discuss what does it mean to be a man. And if there are fathers here today, it is our responsibility to train our boys to be like that. The problem with Africa is the same as the problem with Europe or America. It is the lack of men. We have trained our boys to be pleasure seekers and allowed them to push off manhood until they're 18, or 21, or 25, or 35, or 40. They can stay with mom until they're 50. The Bible has another perspective. I'd like to present that perspective tonight. And I hope it will help us if we are dads. You've got a boy. You've got boys. You've got boys. I've got boys. You've got a boy. We've got to train our sons. If you say, I only have daughters, you'd better know what a man is because someday a boy's going to want to marry your daughters. And of course, each of us still has a road to walk and we want to be godly men. So tonight I would like to explain a Christian man from birth to death. So the, the message, which I'm not into the message yet, this is all the introduction, the message tonight, I'm going to read this man's thoughts on Sangha manhood from 100 years ago. And then I'm going to read the Bible's thoughts. Because masculinity is, here's the definition if you want to write this down. And the point of the sermon tonight, what is masculinity? Here it is. What does it mean to be a man? What can we say for manhood in, in Chavenda? mini, vunna. What is true manhood? And the answer is this: manhood or masculinity is what God has revealed about men. That's true masculinity. I don't care what your uncle did. I don't really care what my culture did. I'm not interested in what the white people do. I don't care what they teach in life orientation. I really don't care what they teach in life orientation. What I want to know is what did God reveal about manhood? And if you are a young man, one, two, three, four. If you are a young man, five. If you are a young man here or listening to this, you should say to yourself, am I a man or am I a 21st century pleasure seeker. Before we begin the message, I'm almost there. I would like to read the biblical evidence for men to be the head. Our world hates the idea that men are the leaders. It despises the idea. So we have women's month When is the men's month? We have to have 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 equality, and what equality means is drag down the men or push out the men. Can you show any society in the history of the world where men have been discouraged, manhood has been discouraged, where that society prospered? You will never see crime decrease where manhood is discouraged Because bad men will always be in the society. And it's only good men who stop bad men. Good woman can't stop bad men. Bad men men are stopped by good men. And if we de-emphasize manhood, number one, what are we doing to to our sons? We've got boys we've got to raise. Well, you're not important. It's take your daughter to work. Take a girl child to work day. And secondly... The reason we need to emphasize this is not only for the health of our world it's for the health of the church The African church is effeminized The majority of churches have a majority of women who attend And I wonder how much gospel do they learn I've often asked people this question and I would challenge you with this Does God love men more than women Does God love men more than women? Will there be more women in heaven than men? Everyone says, no, no. God loves men and women the same. All right, then if there's more women in church, does that mean there's more women who are going to heaven? No, no, they're going to be the same. Well, then either men can get to heaven and they bypass the church, or women, most of the women who are going to church aren't going to heaven. Which one is it? Let me tonight give you some reasons that God wants men to be the head. I've got about 30 of these. Number one, Adam was formed first, Genesis 2, 7. Number two, God gave Adam the job, not Eve, Genesis two fifteen. Number three, God gave Adam the command not to eat from the tree. He didn't tell Eve. He told Adam before Eve was ever created. Number four, God gave Adam a helper. Adam's not the helper. Eve is the helper. Number five, Adam gave the name to Eve. Eve did not give her own name to herself and Eve did not give Adam his name. Adam chose her name, Genesis 2.23. Number six, Adam is mentioned as the active agent in the home, Genesis 2.24. For this cause, a man will leave his father and mother and a man will be joined to his wife and those two will be one. Which is again why polygamy is wrong. Number seven. Adam is always mentioned first. Or he alone is mentioned. Read Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 4. What you're going to see is that Adam is mentioned before Eve. Or Adam is mentioned as if Eve is represented by him. It's never mentioned that Eve as if Adam is with her. It's always the other way around. Number eight. Adam receives a heavier punishment than Eve. It's Adam in Genesis 3 verse 17 who receives a fiercer, heavier punishment. Why would you give a heavier punishment to the man? Because he was the head. Number nine, Adam names his wife a second time. Chapter three, verse 20. Many people don't realize Eve's first name was woman. Her second name was Eve. Adam gave both names to her. Number 10, God speaks much more about men and to men than women in the Bible. In the Bible, God speaks about men and to men much more than he speaks to women or about women. For example, fathers and men are mentioned in the Bible 11 times more than mothers or women. Men and fathers are mentioned 2,169 times. Did you get that? 2,169 times, men or fathers. Over 2,000 times the Bible refers to fathers or men. Not even 200 times the Bible refers to women or, men, or women or mothers. I am not saying here at all that women are unimportant. Come back for the next sermon. We'll give women their place. We love and honor women. They deserve to be honored and they're honored in the Bible and we will honor them. Come back. But we've just got to deal with the words that are in the book. And in the book, men are mentioned 2100 times, women are mentioned 197. Number 11, scripture calls Jehovah the God of the patriarchs, that is the fathers. 17 times, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It never says the God of Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah. Number 12, all the priests were men. Every single priest was a man. Number 13, all the judges except one were men. Deborah is the only believing woman in the Bible who clearly has a leadership role. Only believer in the Bible. There are some women who are kings in the Bible or queens, but they were wicked. The only believing woman in the entire Bible who's given a leadership role is Deborah. Number 13, number 14, all the kings were men. Number 15, all the writers of the Bible were men. Number 16, God is a father. How could we miss that? He's not called a mother. He is called a father. He revealed himself as a father. And what's the next point? He's the son. He has a son, not a daughter. Jesus is the son. Number 18, the Holy Spirit is always referred to as a, in, with a masculine pronoun. Perhaps if your first language is Venda, maybe you're not familiar with this because in Venda Rekwamburi, Ene, Hoyu bone," and that can be a girl or a boy, but in English, in Greek, in Hebrew, when they say Hoyu, it means wa Shinuna, Hoyuwa Shisati a male person or a female person. The Holy Spirit, every time he's referred to in the Bible, it's always he the spirit it's never she the spirit and it's certainly not it the spirit number 19 all the angels in the bible are men including Satan all the apostles were men all the deacons and evangelists in the church were men God forbids women from being pastors. Number 22. Number 23. Women are forbidden from speaking in tongues in the church. Number 24. Men are expected to be able to teach their wives. Men, did you know that? 1 Corinthians 14.35. 1 Corinthians fourteen verse thirty-four says, I do not want women to speak in tongues in the church. Have you ever been in a church where the women spoke in tongues? The Bible says they cannot do it. The very next verse says, if the woman wants to learn anything, let her ask her husband where? At home. Well, that means he's got some kind of a headship or leadership. Number 25. Men are told to raise their children. Ephesians 6.4. Is that not contradictory to our culture today? We think women are told to raise the children. Ephesians six four says, you... Fathers, bring up your children in the instruction and training of the Lord. Fathers, it rests on your shoulders. Just be patient. If this is hard for you, if you say, what about the women? Because I know the way our culture is today. Just come back to the next sermon. I'll have a lot of wonderful things to say about women. The Bible says many good things about them. But tonight is for men. Number 26, Sin is passed through men, not women. Romans 5.12. How do you like that, ladies? At least you don't bear that guilt. Sin comes through the men, not the women. Romans 5.12. Number 27. The leadership and submission of the Trinity illustrates the leadership and submission between the husband and the wife. Number 28. The man is called the head. 1 Corinthians 11.3. The husband is the head of the wife. Number 29, the Holy Spirit tells women to obey their husbands. Number 30, throughout history, men have usually been the leaders of society throughout all cultures and all time periods. Yes, there is sometimes referred to the Amazon tribe where women were the rulers. That is a highly unusual time in history and does not Number one, it does not last long historically. And number two, you can never find a society in the history of the world on any continent, any culture, any time for 6,000 years where a society was led by women and the society prospered. Never. Read history. Don't get angry with facts. Facts don't care about your feelings. Just look in history. You can't find it. Another one, men have usually been the leaders of the church throughout all cultures for 2,000 years. If you look at church history, it's almost always for 2,000 years in all the cultures, all the churches, men who have been the leader. Next one, number 32, 33, men are generally stronger physically. Number 34, Motherhood usually discourages women from being leaders outside the home because they have children and infants. Number 35. Men usually have more ambition and take more risks. When I raised my children, it was my boys who want to climb trees and jump. It was my girl who was much more sedate, although maybe she's learned something from the boys now. My Little girl will play with the dolls. My boys will play with the cars and crash them into each other. It's my boys who will take risks riding their bikes too quickly. In general, that's true all over the world, which is why the overwhelming number of workplace deaths and injuries are on men. Over 90% of workplace deaths and injuries happen to men. If someone's going to die, it's usually a man. We do hear about when men beat their wives, and that's a terrible, wicked sin, which we'll deal with in the next message. But what about all of the men who put out their, their safety and their health trying to provide for their families? These are some of the reasons, and I could go on, but these are some of the reasons why God has prepared for men to be the leaders. So I want to ask you: Are we teaching our boys to be men? Let me give you an example tonight from Tonga culture of what was commonly practiced for many years, and maybe some cultures still today. I'm just going to read the samples briefly as I as I flip through page to page of what Henry Junod wrote. Over hundred years, Almost 100 years ago, in the book, The Life of a South African Tribe, Volume 1, from pages 40 for the next 100 or so pages. Just little cuttings to see the way life was among the Tsonga-speaking people. And he deals also with the Ronga and the Tonga, which are tribes mainly found in Mozambique. Every now and then he hints at the vendas, but he did not live with them, so he didn't say much about them. When a Tsonga boy is born, he's given a male name. Except for the case of one exception I know. The son of the Mabota chief was named Nanin, a girl's name, in order to deceive the evil spirits which would have killed his brothers and sisters. Notice that, that even from birth, even in the naming, our forefathers were afraid of the spirits, so they thought, maybe we can trick the spirits. The spirits don't know everything, and we don't know what they know, but maybe we can trick them. So the the boys a hundred years ago were born into a culture that said all around us are evil spirits and we never know which one's going to hurt us and we never know, let's try to trick it. I'll I'll name this boy, I'll name this boy Susan. When twins were born, one of the children was usually killed. Except in this case, no child is ever put to death willfully on the day of its birth. Did you know that? Twins were born and one of them is put to death 100 years ago in this place. The tying of the cotton string. How many of you have ever seen or done, seen a cotton string tied around a baby's waist? Have you ever seen that, done that? the tying of the cotton string if you want you can read this book it's four pages on the tying of the cotton string very interesting before the cotton string is tied the baby is hardly considered as a human being he is called by mother and father Shilo. if you don't speak Tonga he has in parentheses right here a thing you know what Shiloh is you Venda speakers by Venda Chitu. Before the cotton string is tied, we call that baby Chitu, Shilo. But once he gets the cotton string, he is called Nkuna, an incomplete being. But then he becomes Nkulu once he has a name. The very day that he is weaned from breastfeeding, the child must leave the village of his parents and go to stay with his grandparents. What would that be? One year? Two years? The day he stops drinking breast milk. He goes to stay with his grandparents. Do we still see that today? How many grandparents raise the children? Next section. Right here. The father does not bother much with these little boys. They enjoy an immense amount of liberty. The boyhood years are perhaps the happiest and freest of their whole life. They spend their time herding goats, stealing, catching game, and playing. He has a section here. The little boys are regular thieves and everyone knows that they are. Generally speaking, the elder boys teach the younger boys to commit these thefts. And when they return with what they have stolen, it is broken up among the group of boys. The older boys threaten to beat the younger boys if they return without food. These minor thefts are not considered serious. Does that sound like the way we we kind of grew up? Maybe we grew up stealing, but ah, it's no big deal. They're just boys. It's only it was only a pumpkin. It's only a little thing. Ah, it's a small thing. No problem. Hunger is the constant companion of boys who do not get enough to eat at home. Why not, Dad? Why didn't Dad fix that problem? If the boys were hungry in 2021, dad, you, you better fix that problem for 2022. You got 365 days. Don't let that problem happen again. But it does. The custom of frightening children with imaginary beasts is widespread amongst the Tsongas. They call them the Shingongomani, Or the Shingomungomu. Or the Shikunkununu. Shikunkununu. Or maybe the Shitukulungumba. They frighten babies with imaginary beasts. Now let me read to you about the circumcision school. From 10 to 16... Boys are taken to the circumcision or initiation school. It happens once every four to six years. The boys, I'm jumping here. So if if I read something that doesn't sound connected, it's because I'm skipping paragraph to paragraph. The boys must prove by submitting manfully to all the trials of hard and cruel initiation that they are prepared to be men. The boys are taught to suffer. There are six main trials in initiation school. Blows, cold, thirst, unsavory food, punishment, and death. That's what he saw. The months are June to August for the initiation school when it is the coldest in the South African winter. The temperature can fall 41 degrees Fahrenheit, which would be... What is that? Five degrees? You know how cold it can be here. The boys are told to lie naked in their shed with their heads turned toward the central court. There's pictures of them here. And they suffer bitterly from the cold. They are allowed to light fires in the court, but not near their feet, as it is said to be one of the greatest trials of the Ngoma, that the head must be warm while the feet is cold. Moreover, the boys must always lie on their backs, Shepherds keep watch during the night and beat them if they roll to their side. No blanket is allowed, only light grass covers. The soil, since it has not been treated, swarms with a kind of white worm which bites severely during the night. The boys are required to eat when one of the men squeezes the half-digested grass found in the bowels of an antelope over the porridge. This diet nauseates the boys. They often vomit right on the table. No matter, every particle must be eaten. In former times, the boys who had tried to escape or had revealed the secrets to the women were hanged on the last day of the school and burnt to ashes. Next paragraph. Many of these boys actually die. This is an eyewitness to this account. There's a picture of his house in here. It's just a rondavel where he and his wife lived for over 30 years among the Tsongas. The mother of the deceased is informed of his death by a notch cut in the edge of the pot in which she brings the food. She's not even told your boy was killed. Continue with the initiation school. They're forced to sing for one hour about the winter bird. He lists the words of the song of the winter bird in here if you want to read it. The boys are being put into communication with their ancestors who represent the clan. That's why you go to the initiation school. By the way, he wrote this book because he lived here for 30 years, but not just from living here. In the first 20 pages, he has pictures of the men who taught him everything he wrote. He has many Tsonga and Petty and Venda informants. And the first 20 pages, he gives a page or two to explain each of the men. Everything he's writing is straight from Tsongas themselves. A few days later, the great witch doctor administers to the boy... A medicine which they drink with a mouthful of beer. A few paragraphs down, describing the Mayawaniwani dance. Sounds like the Maguire from today. The boys must perform a special dance with high jumps. Can anyone think of any other times where there are dances with high jumps? I know of a religion that calls itself Christian, that has jumps, dances with high jumps. Where'd they get it from? They got it from an offering to ancestors. Moreover, the boys, once they have been initiated, must appear before these elders as a kind of supernatural being. And the boys must be filled with awe and respect before these men as if they are gods. If a lad does not pierce his ears... He is mocked as a coward. Utoya, unamatoya. Look at this one, page 97. The Gangisa. Look, Washita Shitonga, maybe Washita Kugangisa Shulini. Right here, Kugangisa. The practice of Gangisa comes from Ganga, which means to choose a lover. Gangisa, for those who don't speak a Bantu language, means the subject makes that to happen. Ganga, choose a lover. Gangisa, make someone should choose you. Or in modern terms, you'd say maybe flirt. The Gangisa is done with flirting. And then he describes immoral practices. Between young teenage boys and girls... As the unmarried boys and girls live in special huts, he has a picture of what the huts looked like. He has a drawing of a traditional muti, which would have been maybe 80 meters by 80 meters in a circle, with the headman's hut at the center, his first wife to the right, his second wife beside her, and the fighting space for the wives just past the second hut. Past the second wife's house is his brother's house, then his brother's house, then his brother's house. Then on this side is the sister's houses. And then at the bottom are all the children living together, which again reminds us why many Africans will say, he's my brother. Oh, wait, well, we don't have the same father or mother, but he's my brother. Comes from traditional culture. We grew up that way. We have many fathers and we have many brothers. We have many mothers. She's Manantongo. Yeni Mani. Yeni Manantongo. Yeni maninkulu. And And we've got... This is some of the culture and some of the heritage where it comes from. At the entrance of the village, it is easy for the boys and girls to meet during the night, which they commonly do. The lads pay visits to the girls, etc., etc. He describes the very... This is his words. Mboza, that's one of his Tsonga informants. Um, Mboza described to me a very immoral meeting which sometimes takes place in these huts which I am not able to reproduce here because it's too delicate. The Gangisa custom is very immoral but it is not censured at all among the Tsongas. A boy who does not Gangisa is called a coward. Listen to this. When Tsongas become Christians... They readily accept the standard of morality, but cases of fornication are very frequent amongst converts, so much so that this has been rightly called the African sin. However, we thank God that they do not practice two vices which are prevalent amongst certain civilized nations, onanism and sodomy. Sodomy is homosexuality, and onanism, look it up. So we thank God that those sins were not found in Sangha culture. When they get married, originally the husband would bring cows. Actually his uncles would bring the cows while he stayed at home. Then when they had given the cows and it was accepted, then he would come back. Listen to the description. This is Lobola 100 years ago. When he comes to take his wife back to his house, then her family would come out with her and his family would come with him. The song of the cheka, the only one peculiar to the wedding day, is the prelude to a most strange duel. The bridegroom's family stands on one side and the bride's family stands on the other and an exchange begins. Ha! cry the groomsmen. To the bride, so the men of the men's family, shout to the women. As you are becoming the wife of our brother and coming to our village, try to leave all of your sins. Stop all of your stealing since you are a bad girl. Stop your bad ways and become a good girl if you want to live with us. Close quote. To this, the girl's relatives shout in return. Quote, you have nothing to be excited about. You're making us tired. This girl is far too good for you. Does not everyone know the wild pranks of your son and how many women he has been with? And the dishonor of your whole shibongo? And they go on in this way. At first in joke, but it often becomes a very serious fight between the two families. They sometimes even go so far as to bombard each other with the half-digested matter which has been extracted from the goat's stomach. He goes on to describe growing up. My, My time is getting short, so I want to say this quickly. He has in this book, in this chapter, a description of the man's work, which he describes as two things. The man's work is to herd the cattle... And to build the house. In that section, he says the man's work can be done in about three months of the year, which means 75% of the time, he's talking or resting or pursuing other interests with the men. Right. The next chapter is, and I'll deal with it the next sermon, a Tsonga woman from birth to death, in which he says the Tsonga woman. The chores and work that she does is more than twice as long as the chores and work that the man does. She is exhausted from early in the morning till late at night. Wait, I'll, I'll read that section to you next time. Then he describes the death of a man. He describes his place in the village. Brothers and sisters, what does the Bible reveal I told you tonight's message has two points I'm into the message now, I'm done with the first point there's two points in the message the first one was what, did life, what was life like in the past and if you are a regular attender here you know, but some of you aren't and I know that many people listen on, on the internet so let me tell you if you're listening online or if you're here as a visitor before the gospel came to Europe Whites were wicked and savage and barbarians. White people ate each other. White people feared the spirits. White people painted themselves blue. I've dealt with this many times in many sermons. And it's on my, on my blog on the internet. You can easily search it or I'll give you the link. So if you're listening to this for the first time. Or if you're visiting for the first time. And you think, wow it sounds like you're being too harsh. I like to be harsh on everyone Outside of Jesus, we're all bad. Where do you think apartheid came from? Bad people doing bad things, right? Apartheid is not the invention of a lot of good people saying, hey, we're true Christians. Let's come up with a great plan. It was a wicked system. Bad people produce bad things. And it's true in Europe and in America. It's true all over the world. So I want to move to the second point and ask this. What would a Christian man's life look look like? Let me try to explain that. What would a Christian man's look li- life look like? And again, as I've told you, usually like to go verse by verse, just teaching phrase by phrase through the Bible. Tonight's a bit different. So I'm going to pull verses from all over the Bible. At birth, a man, a Christian man, when he is born should be marked Differently from a woman at birth. So it's good to have pink and blue ba- blankets. You have a little baby girl, they wrap her in a pink blanket. Little baby boy, give him a blue blanket. Why? Because in Genesis chapter 17, every boy was circumcised. Not the girls, only the boys. For obvious reasons. And the obvious reason is God wants to put a difference. A clear distinction between male and female. Circumcision separated the boys from the girls. At birth, a Christian man is given a manly name. Michael is a male angel. If your name is Michael or if you know someone whose name is Michael, it comes from the angel in the Bible. And if you know Greek and you read the Greek New Testament, you'll see that Michael is a masculine name. If a girl takes it, she's taking a name that God called masculine. John, Peter, and Andrew are names of men in the Greek Bible. They're names of men in the Bible and they're names of men. And they're masculine words as well. Boys' toys stimulate their interest in cars, engines, inventions, and adventure. Someone said they tried these terrible studies to try to give little boys dolls. Little baby boys' dolls and see what they would do. And in the clinical study where they one of them, where they gave dolls to the boys, they found the boys beating them on the ground and hitting each other with them. Why are you surprised? The only people who does studies, the only people who do studies like that are single women who don't have any children. If you have kids, you know. You already you didn't need to do a study for that. Why waste your honors degree on that? You already knew that. Jordan Peterson, a psychologist in Canada often cites research showing that men are more interested in things, women are more interested in people. So in the Scandinavian countries, where they tried to make these laws saying women can go into any business they want, so they made it very easy for women to become CEOs of businesses. And guess what you find? In those Scandinavian countries, there is a bigger gap than anywhere in the world between male nurses and female nurses and male CEOs and female CEOs. By that I mean, in the Scandinavian countries, there are far more women who are nurses than in other countries like America or South Africa. And the reason is, if women are given a choice, sit at a desk and, and fill in papers that might help you make a million rand, or go work with people at a hospital. Over and over, life shows, women say, well, let me work in the hospital, I wanna see people. I don't want to sit at a desk all day. Who wants to sit at a desk? And the, her husband says, I'll do that. <laughs> over and over, the men say, yeah, let me go work for ESCOM. Give me a wrench, man. Stop talking. Man, that guy talks too much. Stop talking. Take a, take a spanner. Men choose these things. Women choose these things. And men who talk too much tend to either choose to be pastors or false prophets. <laughs> At boyhood, so that was babies. If you have a baby boy, that's, that, that's, that's a biblical masculine trait. At boyhood, <clears throat> God designed youth as a training time for manhood. He did not design it as a playtime. We have this idea now that there's baby stage, childhood, teenage, young adult, then adult. No, throw that away. There's youth and adulthood. Youth is the time to prepare to be a man. Adulthood is the time to put away childish things. 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. But when I became a teenager, no. When I became a man, I put it away. There's childhood and there's adulthood. Same thing before the law. In legal standing, you're either an infant, which is your time up until the age of 18 or in some countries, 21. And then after the time of being an infant, how would you like that? You're an infant, young man. Taller than me is an infant. You're an infant, buddy. But then when you become a man, you're a man 100%. You have to take full responsibility before the law. Samuel, Joseph, the Jewish maid in Naaman's house, Jeremiah, Joash, Josiah, Timothy, and Jesus Christ all served God when they were still in their youth as children. The Bible's view of time is like a swiftly flowing river. It says our lives are wisps of smoke like grass you cut it down today it's dried out tomorrow that's our lives so boys need to be trained from the time they're eight Carson listen to me you need to be trained not to think this is my time to play it's not your time to play it's your time to grow up and be like me or like him or like him I want you to be a man this is not your time to play around what have we done to our boys by teaching them ah relax your only job is school and then do what you want and the amazing burst of wealth that we have in the modern world has allowed boys to say, hey, I'm done with school, now let me chase bikes or skateboards. Now we have pocket computers and video games. Let me have fancy clothes. Your great-grandfather didn't have fancy clothes when he was 14, 16. And that's the great thing we chase now because we think I'm only 16. It's my time to Gangisa. Not in the Bible. Lamentations 3 verse 27. Boys, if you don't know this verse, memorize it. Lamentations 3 27. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. It's good for a man when he's 14 to work like he's 24. It's good for a boy at 9 years old to try to work like he's 16. It's good for a boy to say, what do men say? Hey Cameron, let's see what happens. What do men say? Keep going? Work, work, work. What do men say? That's what we say, not play. No, no, that's a little 2% of our lives. 98% of life is, get out and work. Dads, we've gotta train those boys from the beginning. If they're going to be Christians, they've gotta learn. Your job's to work, man. Hey, I'm so tired. This week, haven't had any time to play PlayStation. Good, good, I'll make sure I do that again next week then things are working just fine i can see our goal in life should be to train young men who know how to work limitations 327 we need to train our boys first of all to read the bible 1st timothy 4:13 they need to be trained to read for the purpose of reading the bible dads can your boys read wait a minute Reading does not mean pronouncing the signs, people who care. That's not reading. Reading is meeting with the mind of the author. If your boy does not know how to get out of himself, walk through space, grab the mind of the author, and meet with that mind until he understands what the words on the page are saying that he does not know yet how to read. Reading is meeting with the mind of the author, not pronouncing syllables, If we're not teaching our boys to read, we're not teaching our boys to be Christian men. 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul told Timothy, until I come, make sure men read the Bible in the church publicly every week. Who's supposed to read it? Men are. How can they do it if they don't know how to read? Men need to be trained in manners. Manners like respect for women. 1 Samuel 25, David respected Abigail. Exodus two seventeen, Moses helped his father in law's daughters. John nineteen twenty six and twenty seven on the cross, Jesus respected his mother. Proverbs one verse eight says, "Remember and respect the laws of your mother." Proverbs one verse twenty, wisdom is a woman. That's coming up in the next sermon. Wisdom is a woman in Proverbs 1.20 and she calls out to all the young men. And you know what it says? It says only a fool will ignore that woman the best woman in the world is wisdom and she comes talking to you and calling to you and if you say ah no thanks I'd rather have that girl that dresses like a woman of the night then wisdom is going to laugh at you Proverbs 1 verse 20 Proverbs 30 verse 11 if you disrespect your mother it's as bad as cursing your father The pagan cultures don't teach that. That's in the Bible. If you show disrespect to your mother, it's the same as if you had cursed your father. Proverbs 30 verse 11. False religions do not respect women. In Myanmar, Ann Judson describes the way women were treated. And listen to this. Women in Burma, the country of Myanmar, it used to be called Burma. It's to the east of India. In Burma... 150 years ago, the husbands had a word, dog, that they called their wives. And it wasn't some pretty little love name. It was an insult. Because in that culture and in that religion, women were dogs. They could be beaten. They could be burned with brands on their cheek. Men have to be taught to respect them. In the Quran, women are not respected. In fact, I've read the Quran twice from cover to cover. There are a number of stories of women in the Quran. There is not one respectful story, not one time where women are mentioned in a positive light at all. Come back to the next sermon. You're going to see women are mentioned positively all the time in the Bible. In African traditional religion, women are not represented positively. Don't get angry, let's just read history. Page 183 of the same book we were on. Girls, when they're going to be paid lobola, are not allowed to eat pig's feet or chicken wings. Why not? Or pork. Or eggs, read it. Their teeth have to be pointed. There's directions on how to cut the girl's teeth. Incredibly painful and makes her have a canine expression. <clears throat> the legs of fowls are taboo for women, etc, etc. Though a Tsonga woman cannot imagine life without marriage, she does not enter marriage with any enthusiasm. Her parents have warned her that she will be beaten, accused of witchcraft and cheated on. Her sisters cry for her fate on her wedding day in song. He lists the songs that they actually sang. The songs that sisters would sing to their mother to their other sister who is being married on the day of her wedding. During the first year, the woman has no ndiangu, no fireplace of her own. She cooks for her mother-in-law during the first three weeks, her husband will eat with her. Afterwards, he goes back to eat with the men. He comes to get the food from her, but he won't stay with her. As a rule, however, again, this is just history. If you've got a problem with this, find me some other Tsonga informants who are very old who can tell you differently. But I have actually read these to old Tsonga people. Tsonga's in their 70s and 80s. And many of them have said, yeah, that's the way it was, that's the way it was. As a rule, the married people have very little intimacy with each other. The man remains with his companions in the village square. Only occasionally comes into the Ndiangu when he wants something from his woman. But men, when they enter marriage, a Christian man needs to enter marriage, taking the responsibility to go for himself because Christ came into the world to seek a bride. Why did he come here but to take a bride? Man, go by yourself to get that bride. If you wanna bring your uncles, bring them, but you go. If you, Some people say, well, it's our culture to send the uncles. Go with them or tell them to stay home. Well, we can't do that in my culture. Is it the Bible or not? A Christian man says, I've got this wife. I'm gonna live with her. I've got to do this. The man takes the responsibility. He takes the initiative to pay. In the Bible, the bride price is paid by the man who takes the wife. Not by the extended family saying, we'll help you out with 5000 <clears> At marriage, men need to take the initiative. Christian men need to train themselves and be prepared to love their wives and live with them. Christian men need to be prepared to lead, provide, protect, and love. Christian men need to take the full responsibility... To provide the salary for their wife, this is countercultural, I understand, but it 's biblical first timothy five eight if any man, any man, andras any physical male does not provide for those people in his own house, and especially for his wife and children, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever first timothy five eight so if a man says I'm not going to provide for my wife and children. He's worse than a man who's not even a Christian. And in some early churches, he was kicked out of the church. If you don't work for your wife and children, they won't even allow you to come to the church. We're not asking here what the world does. We're not asking here what white culture or black culture. We're saying, what does the Bible do? So men, we have to train our boys now to be this way. We've got to train our boys to take the initiative like a Christian man. A full grown man. What is a full grown Christian man? He's a man of integrity and character, a man of complete honesty who will neither steal five Rand nor five million Rand. What is a Christian man? He is a faithful spiritual leader at the home, praying in family worship. And leading his wife and children every night. Some would say every morning and every night in prayer and devotion. My time is well gone. I want to ask this question as we close. Are we training our kids, our boys to be this way? Are we men, fathers, are we examples of this? If our boys didn't hear a word from us, if they just followed our example, would they follow the example of a Christian man... Or would they look a little more like those pagans in Europe before the gospel came to them? If our boys followed our example, would they be men of honesty and integrity and character? Would they be gentle and humble, but at the same time strong and firm? No. I wonder if men today even know how to say the word no. I wonder if they even know how to discipline their children. These are all things I'm cutting out for time. Godly men have to be taught to discipline their children. We'll deal with that more, I guess, later on. I'll have to squeeze that in. Brothers and sisters, the home is in desperate situation. Years ago, I was at the Elam Hospital, and an African doctor told me, when he was, we were talking and he was dealing with a lot of cases where there was violence And he had to come and stitch up eyes that were cut with broken bottles, etc. And he told to me, the African home is completely disintegrated. It's not beginning to disintegrate. It's not starting. It's completely disintegrated. That was his words, not mine. If you think some of the things in that little green book were too harsh, if you think that quote was harsh, don't get angry. I just want to ask you, is your home an example of Christian manhood? Where the man takes the lead. Where the man says, it's my responsibility. Something bad happens in this home. I don't look to the wife and say, hey, look at these women. I say, I'm the man. I'm the strong one in this home. I love her. I take care of her. I'm gentle. But it all comes to rest with me. I'm the one who's going to have to answer for that woman. I'm the one who's going to have to answer for those children. I'm the one who chose that woman. And again, if you're listening and you don't have a husband... Or if your husband's not in the picture anymore, we've got to raise our boys to be this way. May the Lord give us godly manhood. Close in prayer.